This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. So we've been, uh, the theme for the day, today has been the body and uh, intimacy with the body. The body, of course, uh, has usually been given a hard time in, in spirituality and religion. Um, I mean, we all know the extent to which the the body was kind of, uh, even though Christ was incarnated, the the sense of the the body being a center of spirituality was often lacking in Christianity, often the reverse, it was seen as being about uh, more sinful than, than spiritual. And um, <clears throat> in the uh, historical Buddha, uh, the Shakyamuni Buddha, um, Shakya just is the name of the family that the Buddha was born into. Um, even in, 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 in the classical Indian spirituality, a lot of Indian spirituality is about transcendence of the body. The body seems being less real than consciousness, for example. And even in the story of the Buddha, um, it's interesting how the body plays a very crucial part in that story. When he, as a young man, he leaves the uh, the palace grounds and and goes down into the streets of the town and, and sees basically a sick person and an aging person so a sick body, an aging body and a corpse and he was obviously as the story goes he was so shocked or traumatized by these sights because his his king the father had kept him protected from I guess all these uh, aspects of the body we like to avoid and uh, so that, that initial encounter with the body as impermanent was what set him off on his quest. And you know, for a number of years he participated in traditional sort of in Hindu spirituality, which was a lot about um, asceticism, you know, trying to transcend the body in various ways through denying food uh, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, holding oneself in, uh, in postures of, uh, that uh, was really, you know, um, not natural, uh, you know, sitting still for days on end is, is not something I would recommend. 
the interesting thing about the, the Buddha's story is that um, after he gives up uh, torturing his body in search of enlightenment, he meets a, a woman, a young dairy maid or something like that, depends on what the story is, and, uh, who offers him a bowl of milk and uh, he takes the milk. And, uh, and then he sits down under the tree. And one could, I guess, see that symbolically as uh, a turn towards accepting the needs of his body and uh, nurturing his body. And, uh, and then, of course, he, uh, he, ex he experiences the realization of his body's oneness with the rest of the universe. But still, um, if we tread, if you know, when we study the religious history of, of Buddhism, um, there's still different. It's 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 kind of the relationship with the body uh, has different interpretations, and sometimes it falls more to the Indian side of transcending it. But I think in the, uh, the reason why China is so important for the for us is because that's where Zen originated. Some people argue that Zen originated in the meeting of Taoism and Buddhism in China. And uh, Taoism, I think, is a very earthy kind of uh, spirituality or religion. I think Chinese culture as a whole in those times. I'm not an expert on Chinese culture. Don't get me. But in some of the readings I've done, it was a, quite a different culture to Indian culture. And um, the, the, you know, the, the Taoism, Confucianism, ancestral worship um, was much more very much of this world rather than, of the, rather than otherworldly. And uh, one of the things that struck me when I was in New York, New York last time visiting the National Gallery um, the museum, yeah, I think it's in that call, I forget what it's called now, but the big gallery in the park. Um, in, the, uh, in the Asian section where you, 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 you saw the, the Chinese, uh, both paintings and pottery, and um, the actual landscapes that were painted, the, um, the human figure in the landscapes was just a very much up, uh, one part of that natural, so like, the, the, the mountains and the rivers and the, uh, the sky um, and th they were not just background they were in a sense the human being was more of a background in a sense so it was just like it was part of that landscape but it wasn't and when I looked around turned down the corridor into I don't know what western art period it was whether it was 19th or 18th century but just these pictures of uh, white soldiers on horses and uh, who dominated the picture and just sort of captured this sort of domination of nature, this control over nature. And um, it was quite, quite, a, quite a contrast. And um, so there's, there's always been very much, a, very much a naturalism in Taoism and Zen and, uh, um, and very much seeing rocks and rivers and trees 
very much perhaps as, as First Nations people did, as, as very much sacred. Um, one doesn't have to go into a cathedral to experience the, the sacredness of life. And um, so this theme, I think, about the body, you will find a lot in Zen. And uh, not only like the quote I gave you before about um, this earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha, which is, comes from the uh, Hakuin, I think he was either 18th, I think he was 18th century. Uh, but you also find it in Dogen and many other uh, Chinese Zen teachers and Japanese Zen teachers, this, this, this coming back to the body. And, um, and as I said before, which is exemplified by the actual posture of Zazen, um, the sense in which just taking the posture of meditation is transformative in itself. Um, just being this moment, being this body, uh, is all we have to do. And um, of course, um, as we set out to do that, all kinds of difficulties arise and resistances arise, and part of the practice is you know, working through that. Um, but and our body is the world, in a sense, we could just say body world, um, as I was saying before, or body environment. Um, and, um, and, and in this sense, our, it's, it's, it's our home, and, uh, and wherever we go, as the saying goes, there you are. Um, um, wherever you are, you're going to find your body. Um, uh, and um, so often in our culture we've been, we've been taught to experience the body or think about the body more in terms of, a, of an object but when we actually start to examine the lived experience of our body then it takes on this whole different realm and the body itself is one of the most clearest and direct ways to investigate dharma. Uh, because uh, as we've been doing this morning, as we've moved through both the posture of the body, uh, the focusing on the sensations and the perceptions and the thoughts and the emotions and stories, we see all, all of this manifesting and it's all impermanent. And, uh, and the obvious things, of course, about impermanence that we directly confront with our bodies as we, uh, if we are young, we confront injuries and illnesses. Uh, we become very much aware of the, of, of the body's uh, fragility and impermanence. And, and of course, as we grow older, we become more and more aware of the aging process. So whether we like it or not, um, the body is our great teacher. The body is our teacher of the Dharma. Not only does it teach us about the inevitability of impermanence, but it also teaches about interdependence. And uh, not only our dependence on, our, on the earth uh, for shelter and for food and for oxygen and other nutrients, um, but our dependence upon other human beings. Um, there is no, no, there is no uh, um, um, 
adaptive development uh, for a human infant unless uh, when, the, when the child is born is greeted with a, a caring, loving presence. Uh, I mean, the, the interdependence I, uh, I was only thinking yesterday about the umbilical cord and uh, wh- how much uh, of that is uh, direct uh, experience we have of our interconnectedness. But then, as we are born, um, um, there is no development without a reciprocating presence, and uh, we uh, that that in, that interdependence or that intersubjective place is always prior to any sense of subjectivity or separate self. Um, so, for us to flourish and thrive, we we are dependent upon the love and care of other human beings. And that not only does that stop. It doesn't stop in infancy neither. It continues throughout the whole lifespan. The need for care, love, touch. If we if, if those needs are not taken care of, we suffer greatly. And um, so we know that all forms of Dharma are emptiness. But often that comes across, you know, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, the Heart Sutra sounds very abstract but when we bring it down to living in this body it's just it, it's no longer abstract and and then of course we experience directly our unhappiness with that fact our resistance to our, our willingness to go with impermanence and uh, and so much of our resistance or suffering in life is uh, is about that our attempts to control, um, our attempts to stop the aging process, or um, how and uh, our, our identities can be formed around that, uh, and um, our culture itself can be. Uh, um, certainly undervalues the uh, embodiment of the being, just being in our bodies. Uh, um, we've grown up in an enlightenment culture uh, that's very much emphasized the importance of rationality. And rationality left on its own without awareness and without valuing the body as a corollary of that, without valuing the earth and nature, is totally unbalanced and creates and reaps the kind of destruction we're experiencing. And um, so the, um, the interdependence teaches us that our body doesn't stop just at the limits of our skin, but um, we are we extend out into the environment and into nature and to other people. But like the fish that swims in the water, um, searching for the meaning of life and the meaning of life being water, we just don't see, we just don't see that we're not separate from the environment. Um, this, can, this sense of duality between mental and material or, or the body and the, and the mind or 
rationality. I mean, it all goes back, to, you know, back to the 17th century in our culture. There was a, the uh, you probably would have heard of Descartes, the guy who said the philosopher who said, "I think, therefore I am." Who actually philosophized a dualism between uh, that which thought and, and and the body. So the body was a different substance to that which was a thinking substance. And um, that sort of reaped havoc, that sort of duality. And, um, and that sort of split between the mind and the body just seems to get repeated over and over again, but sometimes in more subtle ways. And, uh, you know, and so we, 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 we see that a lot in, in this powerful desire to, to, to disembody our subjectivity into an abstract eye that occupies or owns the body. Um, or indeed, a lot of spiritual teachings and religious teachings say things like, I am not my body, I am a soul or spirit or consciousness that will endure eternally. So it's almost a sense of a, a, a real adversion and uh, resistance to the fact of impermanence and the fact that, like all other animals, our body dies. And we want to embrace some kind of heaven or eternity, which is not here and now. Um, so we can flip that around and, and, and just start to actually see how the body itself is subjectivity. The body itself, uh, we can see the I or our subjectivity as the activity of the body. Uh, so not only is it natural for the body just to breathe, um, and we can sit and feel the body breathing, but it's just as natural for the body to, f to have emotions and to think, and to self, selfing, to create a sense of self. That's what human bodies do uh, in the context of a human environment. Um, um, a body without a sense of self lacks an orientation in the world and in the human world that we inhabit. Um, so in a sense, the sense of self is from the beginning, it's a bodily sense of self. Um, and, and we tend to forget that. And uh, so the more we can experience this, the, the body as the, um, the, in a sense, as our home, uh, then um, we can uh, experience always the Dharma being fully present here and now. And not only do we have that sense of being able to be with impermanence and interdependence, but, but also ultimately the perfection uh, when the, the, the Buddha looked up and saw the morning star and had the realization that everything, we've talked about this a lot, everything was perfect just what it is. So the, and the body itself is perfect just as it is in its impermanence and its interdependence and its vulnerability. And um, so this very land, uh, this very earth, is the, is the lotus land. This very land, this very earth, right here and now. And this very body is the Buddha. The Buddha is nothing other than this body that we experience. Hence, I would um, urge you all to treat your body kindly with tender care and respect, like you would do other birds and beasts. So.